Welcome, welcome, welcome. You see, another episode of the Lest You Forget podcast, historical podcast by Tenement Yard Media. Um, you can follow them at Tenement Yard underscore on Twitter or Tenement Yard Media on Instagram. Um, yeah, you see, so yeah, you don't know, subscribe, lot, share, all those nice things. I'm such a bad marketer, honestly. <laughs> I am, I'm truly am. Um, but yeah, you don't know another episode. Um, the song you just hear is um Green Bay Killing by Papa Kojak. Um, anyway, I'm there, sir. Big up yourself, Papa Kojak. Big up yourself, you understand? Um, aka Nigga Kojak. <laughs> Many persons probably known by that. If you don't know him by Papa Kojak, you probably know him by Nigger, the ER Kojak. <laughs> Um, I think he still resides in Kingston, but, um, that song was actually banned, um, in the seventies, early eighties when, um, the whole incident occurred, um, was banned after radio waves, but I don't know, Papa Kojak, I'm staying at the, I'm staying at the struggle, you understand? Yeah, I'm staying at the struggle. So, yeah. So, big up himself anyway, I'm there. So, as I mentioned before, Green Bear Massacre happened in the seventies, 1978, basically opened up the new year. Um, I for one, as you know, if you're an average listener to the podcast, I'm not a huge fan of the seventies. But if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Um, yeah, I'm just not a fan um of seventies, but that's but I like idiot. Um which is this is very ironic because we'll have like projects working visual essays working on <laughs> and one of them surrounds the seventies. Well, two of them surround the seventies actually. But yeah, follow Tenement Yard Media for updates on those. Updates on those. So yeah, but for me, it's just not a thing that I'm... <sighs> give me the 60s. Give me the 60s. I love preludes. So give me the 60s. Right? Um, but yeah, we're going to have a conversation about it. Um, I hope people learn about the massacre because the Green Bay Massacre is one of those human rights violation that's in, by the state that's like never talked about and then people always wonder why like why um poor black bodies in jamaica don't trust the state understand when incidents like the green bay massacre occurred so um we're gonna talk about it you understand nothing else about talking we're just gonna jump in and have a conversation about this um about people in call but i saw it go right like they're just the messengers, so it is what it is. All right, so before we start, I don't know, we're going to go off with the, our sources. Um, and let me just say, a lot of the sources came from the Gleaner, and we had to fact-check them with um, persons who were around that time or um, other newspaper articles which caused problems because the Gleaner was the most prominent um, source of information during the time. 
I never get men I go say accurate but prominent. So yeah. So the gleaner, a lot of things came from the gleaner. Um they were also used the meme but empowered the social power of the urban poor in Jamaica by Obika Gray. That was a great book. And um the primary source for this primary source was apart from the gleaner, was Born for Dead, a journey through the Jamaican Posse underground underground by Larry Gust. No, I said that book they know. Yeah, the, it's the infamous book. If you want to understand, um, if you want to understand, like, um, the rise of like Jim Brown and Dodos and XYZ, XYZ, basically, the rise of the Shower Posse, basically, the rise of like, um, gang, no, drug, gang politics. It's an entertaining read. It reads like a fiction, and I think that's just my only problem with it personally. But, because that's such not my thing, you know, but if you're one of those persons who like, you know, the dramatization of history, like with quotations and, and we'd say like Bill, Billy said, and Billy said this, and you have quotations, quotations, then it's a good read. It's a, it's a great read. You understand? So, do that as you must, if you need to read the book. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. So, you don't know, upon the, upon the podcast, we love get the long prelude of what happened. You understand? So, we're going to tell you what, what really led up to the Green Bay Massacre. And what really led up to the Green Bay Massacre, you see, is this institution called slavery. Because <laughs> I definitely blame slavery for everything. I do not care what it is. Me, I blame slavery. Me, I blame slavery. <laughs> but, um... To truly understand the Green Bay Massacre, really, you have to understand the climate of the of what was the climate of the times. And where I'm going to take it from, because we could we could we could go all the way back to 1966, which is 1966, which is which which is my my personally what I believe is Jamaica born of a nation. Period. Um for for persons who my first rant this is my first rant born of a nation birth of a nation sorry birth of a nation was um a film that was released in 1914 i believe in the u.s and it was it basically humanized the kkk and de, 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 demonized um black people in the states and the birth of a nation gave rise to the kkk and it was like it was one of the primary th- reasons why stuff like the, the tulsa massacre occurred right the devastation of what is the black um black wall street so yeah so the birth of a nation um analogy is basically like the the starting period of a country's major problem which in in my opinion is corruption and crime in jamaica so it's like i'm just going to put everything at 1966 that that that's just me 1966 is where i'm putting it Makura goes 1962, Makura goes 1963. Mumu just feel like 1966. Makura put 1966. They could go 1963. Mumu just gonna go 1966. You understand? Other persons have 1967 um election, but me just gonna say 1966. That's me, personal. But, I go back so far. You understand? If you really want to know about that and what happened during that time, you can go pre-over episode on Tivoli Gardens. Um, I think, yeah. I think that's the fifth episode from season one, so you can pre that. But we're gonna start from 1976 because 1976, you see, was a year. 1976 was a year. No, 
the foot I so me not really know how to really talk about 1976 because 1976 was just too much. A lot of things were happening in 1976. So one of the first things that happened was when um you had the Orange Lane fire occur, and the Orange Lane fire was when I told I think about 500 people were left homeless and 11 people were burnt alive. Among them, five children. You understand? I think two babies. Um, they were perished on Orange Lane in downtown Kingston, right? And the the reason because of that was because in that in that I, I, I'm going to say it was a yeah in that tenement yard tenement area was where PMP supporters live, and I'm just going and light it a fire. So that was political motivated, um, and it was just a lot. There is a can I pull that up? Yeah. No, look on one of my episodes. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you. So, you had, um, there's a quote here that said, um, they were trapped in the flames and died as their parents sleeping helplessly to their pitiful screams. So, that's, that's like, uh, you can imagine that happened in 1976. Then, after 1976, you, then, not after, after that incident happened in July, in 1976, you had um, a gang armed with machine guns attack a PMP-affiliated club, killing six and wounded 50. Then, after that, you had the 1976, um, state, famous 1976 state of emergency. Is after that or before? No, 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 no. The state of emergency was June 1976. So, yeah. So, after, yeah, so the state of emergency happened in 1976. The famous one where you had... Political prisoners in Jamaica, right? We were going through, we were going through a civil war. What we just never call it a civil war. It was really a civil war. It was a civil war. We had political prisoners. So the state of emergency had Pernell Charles being locked up for almost three hundred plus days. Um, you had Bobsy Oliver Bobsy Grange, who is our current uh, minister of culture, sports. Whatever gender, so let me say <laughs> gender. Um, yeah. Um, she got locked. She she was locked up for a good period of time, and then she had to seek. Um, she went to Canada, exile in Canada. Um, and then there were like five hundred and five hundred and ninety other persons who were locked up because of political affiliations during that time. This is 76 is a year. And then the most famous thing that happened in 1976 was uh well one of the most famous things happened in 1976 was um manly withdrewing Jamaica from Miss World, you understand? Which ended up in a twist of fate. Cindy Breakspear ended up winning that winning that year. But if you want to hear more about how she win, and Jamaica did barred from 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 attending. There was an episode about that. You can go listen to that. My episode we only about that. You can go listen to that about apartheid and a bag of niceness. Not niceness, but the story was well told in my opinion by me. Mm. <laughs> you can go listen to that. But so you have that happening the latter half, the later the later half of seventy six, and then the most famous thing happened in seventy six was the nineteen seventy six election that happened on December fifteenth, where ten days before um that ten days before twelve twelve. No, 13. 12 days before, math is correct. 12 days before, you had Bob Marley being shot, right, at his home. Understand? Um, Again, do we have an episode on that? We talk, we talk about it in many episodes. So, any episode they think about Bob Marley, then it's there. But Netflix, have a look at documentary. Yeah, them have the budget for them things there. Y'all can go and listen to that. They have a whole thing. Y'all can go and watch it and it's 
it's cute yeah so you can't yeah what happened there so that was 76 and then you move on to 1977 and in 1977 right what you had in 1977 was it moved from a political problem to now a financial problem because when money decided again listen to the episode both in the break period, when money decided to side with cuba about the angola noir because the u.s was backing the south african apartheid in Angola, and they were hoping that Manly could, you know, say like, yo, what US is doing is correct, and what Cuba is doing is wrong, because Cuba was supporting the black Angolans for their freedom. Manly was like, nah, you know, I'm here for third world liberation and black people, and da-da-da-da. When he did that, you know, US got mad, and then the, the bag of financial constraints, um, like Jamaica difficult, like we're well, in a bad place because of like corruption and stuff that happened in the 70s. But that 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 did bad, you understand? And basically what happened is that we had a if my memory server right, we had a or, or, or GNP went down to what like six to six point five percent. I'm just gonna go and say six percent, and then with a negative cash flow of around a hundred million dollars. So, I know when you have the negative cash flow, you have declining investment, higher interest on loans, and then the debts were due where you can't pay. Look at econ knowledge. <laughs> look at econ knowledge. You know, look, look, I'm not really going in depth, but when I go in depth, I have it. So, all of them, something that happened around that time. And then you had one of the major things that happened in the 70, in 77 was the what I like to call the mimicking of Tivoli Gardens. So, if you know the story of Tivoli Gardens from back a while, again, listen to the episode about Tivoli Gardens, you understand? Come like a textbook, chapter upon chapter, everything canic. You understand? It's like when Tivoli was being formed, you had the Rastafarians and poor black bodies, PMP supporters being driven out of out of Bacowal, and then you had JLP supporters brought in to Bacowal, right? And then when that happened, you will never, I don't think any of us who are alive today will ever see um, JLP become a PMP constituency. It's like, I'm based on, that's just a history alone, that this is generational politics. So when it came to the 70s, we had um, something similar to Tivoli Gardens. That's never really talking about the Rima housing project. So we had the Tivoli housing project. We had a Rima housing project, and that was a brainchild of Anthony Sparling, Tony Sparling, who, who served as Minister of Housing. And Tony Sparling, I, we talk a lot about Tony Sparling on the episode that we did uh, about PMP and the tale of three gullies, so you can go and listen to that. That's the first episode of season, season two, I believe. So um, sometime around that, around that period, what, what happened was that you had, you know, well, basically what they're doing, going to do is that Southern St. Andrew, they were trying to establish it as a PMP support base. The same way Tivoli Gardens is a GLP support base. And basically like copy where Mr. Siaga did with Tivoli and, and make it a PMP support base, which makes a lot of sense because if you look upon all the constituency of St. Andrew South, most, what do you see? <laughs> what do you see? You understand from Tony Spalling laid the foundation for Omar Davis, 
who lay the foundation for my holding. You understand? So you're not gonna you're not gonna see them constituency they switch. Like them constituency not gonna switch in I don't think ever in her lifetime. Um Southwest St. Andrew, which I believe is help me out here, Portia place. Um, I know it's Angela Bromberg place, and I can see them place they switch to JLP just because of again generational politics. So the Rima housing project was basically like that happened. But when that happened was when gang violence became worse. You understand? Because when the, the government, the PMP government decided to evict Rima residents for non-payment of rent, you understand, and driving PMP supporters, you understand, that that led to a lot of major gun violence major gang violence major gun violence and the political the political arena became very bad it came worse so we'd have some facts and figures here you know from the cleaner i would fact check this come okay but you definitely fact check this so all right so is it is this going to be a compare comparison analysis so let's take for 1972 right Alright, so let's take for a 1972 instance. So in 1972, this is the beginning of Manley's um reign as Prime Minister. Murder, we had 170 murders, 571 rapes, 52 manslaughters, 450 fellow felonious wounding. But doesn't know that sound wrong, but that we are going. Robbery, we had 2605 robbery and burglary. Burglary. Burr. Thief. Thief. That's where we are going with. Thief. <laughs> right? We had 4,782. And then for firearms and shooting with intent, we had 293. So that's just 1972. Jump back four years. And in 1976, right? We have 367 murders, right? That's compared to the 170 murder in 1972. And then in 1977, that 367 increased to 409. We moved to rape. And again, in 1972, we had 571 rape. In 1976, we had 672 rapes. And in 1977, we had 829 rape, right? For manslaughter, in 1972, we had 52. In 1976, we had 42. But then again, in 1977, we had 58. Felonious wounding. <laughs> that just know that's all wrong. We had 450 in 1972, 384 in 1976, and 522 in 1977. We'll move on to robbery. Why do we between robbery and burglary? Burglary in a burglary in a break in a people's house, right? Alright. So we're just gonna say thief house. Thief house. That's what we're gonna come. Burglary. Burr. Just now I roll off my tongue naturally. So someone I summon it wrong. Alright, so in 1972, Rabbi will have 2,605. In 1976, we had 2,595. And then in 1970s, we in comparison to the 4,782 that took place in 1972. And then for firearms and intent with shooting. Remember that in 1972, we had 293. In 
between 76 and 77, the number double, almost triple, you understand, for firearms and shooting with intent, which I can go along and say a lot of things clearly happen when it comes to gun ownership and gun shipment into this country between 76 and 77. But guess what? Guess what? Netflix. <laughs> go put a documentary. <laughs> yeah, or you can add Tenemetial Media and they can give you some books and sources for that because keep my opinions to myself on these matters. <laughs> Alright, so that was the climate of the time. That was what was going on around that time. That was what was going on around that period. Now, we fast forward now to 78. And we, the story of Green Bay took place. Again, Green Bay is located in St. Catherine. It was a former firing range for the army, right? Before they moved to upper camp. And, um... If you live in Elsha or Greater Portmore past the town center, so anywhere past three east, yeah, clearly I grew up in Portmore. <laughs> past three east, if you stand up on up on your roof, you can see where Green Bay is or where I'm talking about. So Green Bay was Saint Catherine, but the story of Green Bay took place in Central Kingston, and Central Kingston MP at the time was Michael Malley, which Again, <laughs> yeah. that has got to be my biggest surprise of 2020 that them lose Michael Malley's seat because I thought that seat was unlosable. Unlosable? No, that's not the word. That, uh, no, like, I don't, I, I don't, I never saw that seat being switched ever. But, you know, things happen. So, uh, <laughs> um, in Central Kingston, you had this community called Southside, right? That was what the community was called, Southside. And in Southside, you had the area leader called Franklin Allen, who went by the name Chubby, Chubby Dread, right? And around this time now, Dave is going to read, right? And I'm going to read a couple pages from um, Laurie Gosborn for Dead. So sit back, relax, you know. This is going to be a very nice um, story to tell. Now, am I going to be honest with you now? Me not really. I've read this book like probably three times, so I probably have most of the words down part. But I just know so the way me pronounce it, I'm it is probably not the way it pronounced here. But it is what it is. So we're just gonna have a conversation. So yeah. So according to Larry Ghost in her book, Born for Dead: A Journey Through the Jamaican Posse and the World, this is based on her research and an interview around people who live in Southside. This was how the men. Who were involved in the Green Bay Massacre, the civilians who were involved in the Green Bay Massacre came about to be in that environment. So, this is what happened. In Southside, right, you had the Labor Rights Skull Crew, right, and you had the Nesmet Brothers who reside on Last Street. So, we're talking, if you know to Gold Street there, around that side there, yeah, they're going to say we so, um, the posse youths had ing you see me at about the words sound different to them had ing ingratiated ingratiated themselves with a formidable Franciscan nun, Sister Benedict, who ran the Holy Family Church in Southside. Sister, as everyone called her, had been living in the ghetto long enough to know the wisdom of keeping cool runnings. Oh my god. <laughs> 
in her area and she pacified the ever reckless skullmen by giving them occasional work at Holy Family. I hate reading, like, Johnny. Well, reading out loud, it's not a thing for me. But so, just paraphrasing here, what Sister Benedict did was that she gave the, the young men in the area jobs. And what the job entailed was that they were supposed to serve as guardsmen for the um the Holy Family School as well as the Law Streets Training Center, which was next door. So that was their job that she gave them. But this other thing is the church. Them, them just did not do this. Like, they never really have had a money for even paying people them. So it's not like that was like a, a steady stream of income for the men there. So they need some money. You understand? Them need more money. So what they did, and if you are an avid film watcher in Jamaica, this story is going to sound very familiar to you. Um, instead, they turned for money to the housing project. The PMP had started building a few blocks away on Barry Street. Remember what I tell you, say, in 97, you had the Rima housing project, and then places that was adjacent to Rima was going was was undergoing housing reform in Tony Spalding eyes, right? Yeah, so that may matter, but let's continue. So that did go on. But the work grown to a halt because the skull kept fighting with other rankings over who got work on the site. Again, political motivated. So it's a PMP project and probably not got IRJP people. XYZ, XYZ. So, this dire struggle was an affront to the PMP's ability to control its neighborhood, and the police were doing nothing about it, you know? So, the army began putting some of its men into the field. One of them was Major Ian Robinson, right? So, Major Ian Robinson, important to the story. Now, according to the Gleaner journalist named David Acosta, and again, note, when I mention Gleaner upon this, please understand that in the 70s, everything was political motivated. The Gleaner themselves was politically motivated. The Gleaner is forever politically motivated, especially in the 70s, just bad. So JBC, the Jamaica Broadcasting Corporation, which is Norman Manley's brainchild, of course, is going to be like a lot of PMP people. Like a lot of PMP people were on JBC. And then on JLP, JLP was being privately funded. Not JLP, not, not JLP sorry. Glena was being privately funded. And um, by some people in I really can't pronounce. Listen, you may say. Ashanem, whatever. We just cannot. I went into details about this on the Walter Ronnie episode. I know. So you can probably go and listen to that. Forget more details. But the, the Glena was being privately funded by people who were affiliated with the GLP. So everything was politically motivated. And it so happens that the editor of Glena would end up becoming the chairman of the GLP some years later. But we'll move. Like, those are things that happened. So everybody was politically motivated. But David Acosta, the Glena journalist, he quoted by saying on Major Ian Robinson, he was a small man, quite fearless, and much valued by the army to engage in shootouts. There were instances where the police and criminals hold up in some parts of Kingston, and there were so much gunfire that they were hesitant to go in. Then Robinson would show up with his six guns blazing and at great personal risks go in and shoot to death three or four men. That would put them that would put down the uprising. So basically, before Renita Adams, there was Ian Robinson. <laughs> so Renita Adams would be Ian Robinson in the police force, basically. 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 For persons like younger generation who know Renita Adams. Now, one of the things that happened around that time was 
in the army, you had a special group of characters called special group of men who um dubbed themselves, and I will say here, um, they dubbed themselves the military intelligence unit. That was the name given to this special operation. And that special operation was being um put in charge by Captain Karl Marsh, right? Captain Mar Karl Marsh. Now, there is a story, and I would say alleged story, that Captain Marsh was working underneath. Um, he was getting, he, was, he had a special advisor by the name of Montero, who was, um, let me try to remember that story ago. Montero, who was Cuban, right? I can't validate that story there. I am the evidence feed, but it's been one of those like legendary things. Like Montero is like a legend. Like it probably exists, it probably don't exist. It's one of those things, but like that's one of those stories that exist. Allegedly. Allegedly. Let's drop the Allegedly. We should drop the team. So Alright. So according to Larry Gosner, I'll go back to Fair Book. Their infiltrator was a Southside youth named Junior Soul Douglas, who started hanging around the construction site on Barry Street just before Christmas 1977, the time of the year when these sufferers are especially desperate for money. She said sufferers. And putting out the word that the army needed men with guns to guard the work site. The news spread through Southside like lightning, and young men started jockeying, jockeying, jockeying for their chance to get the guns. Then the army put its Matahari to work. A lieutenant named Susan Halleck, who lured a dozen Southside laborers to a hotel where she received them in a filthy nightgown and promised that they soon get their weapons along with $300 for their guard work. So, that was basically the story. You understand? So, woman aside, the story that these young men were given was that, yo, they couldn't find job, they couldn't get work on the PMP building side because they came from south side which was mostly like a labor right um jlp um community in central kingston right and then again everything in that time was politically motivated and because around christmas because i don't know christmas everybody have flowers and nice and about things and you know what they did right what happened is that they needed money so the army you know according to sources a lot of sources the army, by way of the MIU, the Military Intelligence Unit, which was headed by um, Major Ian Robinson, with major operations being done by Captain Carl Marsh, then devised some plan. You understand? And tell them, young man, them say, yo, listen, if I job a work plan, we just want to know for God to work, and it gonna be, we're gonna, get, we're gonna supply the gun, and we're gonna go to change us a week, which is a lot of money at that time, or money that them, not a lot of money, but money where them need. You understand? So, yeah, that is so unpromising to these young men. So that's the build-up to January 5th, right? No. Let me tell you what happened on January 5th. No. So, on the night of January 4th, Junior Soul, the infiltrator, went into Southside the drivers of two vehicles and found Roddy Nesbitt along with nine other suspected gang members. He told the men that soldiers were waiting out at Green Bay and I'm a firing rage west of Kingston to give them the promised guns. St. Catherine. The Southies were suspicious at first, but decided to go ahead with the plan and the little caravan left Southside for Green Bay. Right? 
I want to say this. It was 14 men who were told to come. But four of them oversleep. Like, so they missed the bus. You understand? So 10 of them go. 10 men go. You see them four men who never go and oversleep? Listen. Right, right time in their life when they oversleep. Now, the men end up reach uh, Green Bay. And it's noted it was still dark when they got there. According to Larry Gust. Soldiers met the crew. And escorted them to some targets set up in the sand by the water's edge. They told the men to bunch up, and before the victims knew what was happening, a dozen hidden machine guns opened fired fire on them. Roddy Nesbeth had already gotten it down in the sand, and now he started crawling for his life toward the dense macathorn bushes that surrounded the cove. He heard his friends dying as he crawled. Right? Glenroy Richards. Southside champion soccer player cried for his girlfriend as he bled to death in the sun. Valerie, Valerie, Roddy heard him moan. I tell you, I never want to go. I know I did. Now, Glenroy Richards, right? If you're a... Wait. Yeah. So, um... You had a lot of persons who were like, um... Let me, let me say this now. We make more sense. We <laughs> make more sense, right? Ten men were, fourteen men were called to, to do the job. Ten end up going. Five were killed, right? Five men were killed. The five were you had um a footballer, Norman Thomas, and he played for Santos Football Club. Also played. He was also a Jamaican. He also played for a national team. Was a Jamaican midfielder, right? Um, Norman Gutter Thompson, that's his name. Then you had Trevor Clark, then you had Winston Hamilton, then you had Martin Howard, and you had Glenroy Richards. And Glenroy Richards was like, uh, yeah, because this doesn't make sense. Glenroy Richards was, um, he had a song, um, Wicked, Wicked Can't Run Away, which is like a big, big song in the 1977 around that period. Yeah, yeah, like it wasn't that it was reggae. He was a dancer, he was a regular artist, and he might have a hit song, right? So he died. Those four persons died, right? One person who famously escaped and is still alive today is Delaware Anthony Griffins. And him is still alive because when the shooting are gone, he jumped on the ground and crawled and entered the bay. And by the time he entered the bay, he was picked up by one of the fishermen who brought him to um Caymanas Park, right? If you know Portmore, they brought him to Caymanas Park where they asked him there. And yeah, that's how he escaped. <laughs> that's how he is alive today. All right, so maybe continue. All right, so Larry Ghost, Larry, Larry Ghost went on to say, um, by then the sun was up and the dead squad had radioed back to headquarters at Upon Camp with the bad news. That five man, five men had escaped. Soldiers were immediately dispatched to Southside to hunt down the survivors and execute them. They were told to look for men with cuts and scrapes on their skins. But Roddy Nesbeth outwitted the MIU. He led the wounded survivors straight to the Holy Family School. Same place where Sister Benedict, you know, there. And the sister, she hit them and then called the police. They were glad for the chance to embarrass their army rivals and they took the survivors into protective custody. So... Back in the 70s, there was this thing, there was this rhetoric, if that's, yeah, rhetoric, that the army was in the 
government was interest and then the police was in the opposition interest you understand so it's like yeah everybody actually for one of each other for see if the police more efficient or the army more efficient efficient in we don't know civilian oppression probably we don't know we don't know, we don't know. just just saying just saying we don't know <laughs> um but yeah you know um that that was what went went on into the inquiry and i am going to continue as to talk about the aftermath so just a recap here 14 people got invited for got for green bay you understand um 10 end up go five shot right now the aftermath was was pretty dirty because there's a lot of things that happened after the shooting so the gleaner reported as soon as possible that yo there was a shooting at green bay but there was always up in the ear of what happened because the army and i'm going to tell you what the the army statement said i think the army statement said but what major ian robinson this is what his testimony said because they had an inquiry into it two months after you understand because so civilians died and the army story never did a really connect. I'm going to tell you why the army story never did a connect. You understand? We'll, we'll get into that. So, um, the inquiry started and you don't know, a lot of attorneys are involved in the inquiry. You don't know, I got to have the, 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 the DPP, what the term was, Ian Ford. Um, there was Winston Spalding and Abe Dabdoop. Abe Dabdoop was part of the that 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 whole um case so let me read from the gleaner you know what major robinson said right this is the gleaner publication 978 let's go major robinson testified that on arriving at green bay he had briefed his ambush group to expect the arrivals of guns and gang leaders on the firing range he told them that he would fire a warning i don't know what i word a warning signal but yeah basically from his general purpose machine gun over the heads of the men and call on them to surrender if they retaliated the ambush oh and if they retaliated the ambush party was to return fire major robinson told the inquiry that he had seen a group of between 10 and 15 men approached the targeting area of green bay at five minutes to six on the morning of january 5th Five of this group fired between two and eight shots with handguns at as the target Robinson. At the tar- at target Robinson. And then Robinson him fired a round of bullets above their head with his machine gun and shouted, Troops, the men had immediately fallen to the ground, scattered and fired back at the military. So basically what you hear I say, yo, the military did not do them thing, then they did they by themselves, they did them thing, and then them get ambushed. But Separate from logical common sense telling you that how why would ten men take it upon themselves for ambush the army at the army training ground? Where you know we're gonna go there? Where you know they're gonna go there? Like me not understand like it just nah add up. Like personal to me, it it just never add up. It's like um the harder they come, you know, like it never you know the last scene, you understand the last scene where like Ian did come out and like him knew him like in the like the foreshadowing of the movie from the beginning. And you're like, ah, Ian, Ivano, 
Ivan. Oh my God, Mr. Ian. Ivan. And like in the beginning of the show, in did I watch the movie and then at the end, it's kind of sort of foreshadowing of like the, 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 the hero, the villain always winner or something like that. And then him jump out, expect for win the battle. But he makes work for dead. So this was like a suicidal mission to the man name. Like it does it doesn't really that at all. You understand it's just just it doesn't really that at all. Separate from the facts of the story, really that at all. Um the gleaner in in con- conjunction with the star, yes, the Jamaica star is that old. Um they did a bit of investigation themselves. So this was um an article that was in the gleaner um a couple of days later. While the public await the promised official statement on the killing of five alleged gangsters at the military fiery rage at Greenby on January 5th, the Gleaner continues to receive further evidence on what took place. This photograph, there's a photograph. It's a it's a it's a, it's a audio, so um <laughs> I don't know if we do that, but yeah. This photograph was taken shortly after the shooting and shows the five dead men. They were riddled by machine gun fire. The photographer was an army officer and his shadows Shadow shows clearly at the bottom of the picture. This photograph and others in a gleaner position demonstrate that the men were shot before noon. Expert om- opinion suggests that the photograph was taken at approximately 8 a.m. So, yeah, that, that did a debunk the army story as well. So all of that did a go in a them favor say, yo, this was clearly a setup that was going on and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. And then it became, no, what was happening is that there was another story going around that, yo, the PMP government was involved in this because it was JLP supporters who were killed. Like, the men came from jail, from a JLP community. Like, you see me? So that was, there was that thing going around that it was the army under PMP um, advice or whatever you call it. Yeah. That did that allegedly. So um that also created a problem. And then PMP never hit them kiss because I'm gonna tell you one no. You'd have at the time the security minister, newly appointed security minister, you understand, go do some things, you understand go to some things, you understand. And the security minister at the time was Dudley Thompson. No, we have spoken about Dudley Thompson on this podcast. So Dudley Thompson, go back and listen to the Tivali Guys episode. Dolly Thompson was a World War II veteran. Zine, um, he is famous because he did the Momo trial of Kenya. He um he 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 was the legal representative for Kenyatta. You understand? And he he did amazing work um on the African continent when it comes to like African Union and the aid, the, the formation of the OAU, the formation, African Union at the time, yeah different name but he did some work with them so he's very big pan-africanist and he's also very left-leaning right and um when he came back to jamaica i think wait when he came back to jamaica was he a red scholar was he a red scholar? i'm not sure i remember honestly i'm saying this all at the top of my head but <laughs> but basically what happened was um he was uh i wouldn't he was like a, a mentor 
a prodigy. I want to say mentor and mentee. He worked with Norman Manley, right? He was in. He was part of the, the law office of Norman Manley at the time. You know, Norman Manley in the fifties was like in the thirties, forties, fifties was like esteemed lawyer before retiring fifty five for go to become a politician full time because he became premier. So Della Thompson worked with Norman Manley for a couple um years, and then he became um president of the Bar Association, and then he entered electoral politics. But electoral politics did kick him in a film face because he ran up against Siaga in the 1967 election, which is what most persons, most political pundits, most criminologists term as a turning point of Jamaica politi- politics. I say that a year before in 66, as I mentioned before, but in 67, that, that, that election that surrounded, that was when you really saw gang violence, political gang violence took form. You had the Vikings... And you had the Phoenix gang, you understand? That was before you have Showa Posse and XYZ. Like the Showa Posse came out of Viking, a Viking or Phoenix. Moana's a Viking. Go back and listen to the Tivoli Goddess episode. <laughs> but we went into details about that election in the Tivoli Guys episode. So Dolly Thompson was going up against um Edward Siaga for West Kingston. And yeah, yeah, yeah sad moments there was a lot of things that happened during that during that election and um yeah it was so bad it was just so such a bad 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 election (laughs) and that happened and Dolva Thompson I mean a lot of persons um have their qualms with Edward Siaga of being a perpetrator of gang violence in Jamaica Dolva Thompson is right up there in my opinion they facilitate that 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 election and um when that election happened as you know edward siaga ended up winning um normal Mali made some famous statements year later saying a dark 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 spirit <laughs> a dark dark spirit has entered politics and if jamaica doesn't wake up and see how vile our political system is becoming he has no idea what Jamaica will look like in 50, 60 years. Crime is going to be our ranging monster to development. <laughs> well, clearly he was right. <laughs> so that ended up happening. And um, yeah, we know how Mali's statements end up working out. So Dolly Thompson did that. He ended up losing, still stayed close to PMP. Um, Jerry Smalls, historian and radio personality, had some words to say about um, Dolly Thompson, which I will not repeat on the podcast because it's still not verified. But he had some things to say about Dolly Thompson and guns in Jamaica. But I know, I know, I touch that. <laughs> I not touch a one at all. Um, but yeah, so Dolly Thompson, that was Dolly Thompson. So Dolly Thompson became security man. That's such a rundown of who Dolly Thompson is. And yeah, Dolly Thompson was aligned with the very was he radical? He wasn't radical, but I don't he wasn't like DK Duncan radical of what Jamaican people term radical, but he was in the inner circle of uh, Michael Manley. So with Tony Spalding and PJ and Portia, that inner circle. So he was there. So when he became um, security minister on February 3rd, 
he was welcomed by the Senate as a new security minister. And I'm going to quote from the, from the Gleaner here. In a speech of reply, he stated his approval of the recent ghetto choose, but state that mad dogs in the society will be destroyed. So basically what happened is that after the Green Bay incident, there was a choose that was called in Southside. Um, you know, like, because clearly the people realize that the government all for kill off all of them. You understand? So there was a whole choose and stuff. Senator Winston Spaulding, Winston Spaulding attempts to the same man, the same lie, I must say, in the case, yes. Senator Winston Spaulding attempts to table a resolution in the Senate which exposes all essential aspects of the Green Bay operation and make grave accusations against the army. The resolution gives specific details of the role of the military intelligence unit in setting up the Green Bay death trap and lays lie yo McKenna and list list the serial number of the submachine guns used at the adventure in hotel on January 3rd to decoy the getter youth to Green Bay. The resolution is condemned by Dolly Thompson as political, irresponsible and mischievous and be particularly objects to Spalding's allegation that guns had been planted at Green Bay. Because when they collect evidence, they find out say, Yo, they find one gun that did not belong to the army at Green Bay. So um, Winston Spalding wanted to have an inquiry into guns that he heard was stolen at the, at the hotel. And um, Dolly Thompson was like, no, we're not doing that. No. The Attorney General at the time, Carl Ratchery, So, yeah, the Attorney General Carl Ratchery at the time um, condemns the resolution as highly emotive and highly inflammatory and rejects Spalding demand for a commission of inquiry into Green Bay. He states that the proper course is through the Director of Public Prosecutions and the courts, and it was because of that that, that led to the in inquiry um yeah but the inquiry did happen Dolly Thompson did end up like 10 days later past saying that there was going to be an inquiry at the earliest date um um as soon as possible and then he basically called out um the gleaner <laughs> he called the gleaner certain sections of the media basically he's alluding to the gleaner and the striker the gleaner did go in gleaner did in-depth research into what happened Right. Um, but why Dolly Thompson is so important to the story? Because Dolly Thompson, as security minister, basically said something that made it seem as if the government of Jamaica was going to they don't care about these men, the five men that were killed. They don't care about the ten men that they were attacked, them never business. Because according to him, and I quote, he said, No angels died at Green Bay. And that's his most famous statement ever. No angels died at Green Bay. So you can see where you can be, yeah, listen, you can be reputation, you know, and one thing kick you, know, one thing kill you. And he said that, and it was just like human, the Jamaica human rights um, organizations at the time came down on him very much. But he wasn't the only person who said it. Um, The Public Opinion, who, the Public Opinion is a newspaper that was founded by um O.T. Fairclaw. And O.T. Fairclaw, 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 oh. if you follow politics, they know who he is. Um, the PMP under Mark Golding, Mark Golding administration of PMP, they recently made a fund in his name for persons who have long service in PMP. But OT Faircloth is the mastermind. Go for him. He's the founder of, I hate saying the founder because PMP doesn't really have a founder, in my opinion. They have founders, they are founding fathers. But if you're going to give someone with the original idea of Jamaican 
organizational politics that is still relevant today, it's O.T. Fairclough. He was the person who was the brainchild of PMP. He was the one who reached out to Norman Manley and um, who else was part of that inner circle there? It was Norman. There was the man who later became governor general. I wanted to go for general. Him, him just the palm tip of my tongue. He just now roll off, but him, them cannot remember the man. But yeah, those persons who end up during forming what is today the PMP in thirty eight is all because of OT Faircloth. You know, he was the person who like did the whole mastermind, and he was the one who made Norman Manley well advised Norman Manley to be the face to be like the first president of the board of PMP because OT was. He's Asian born. He's Asian born. He's dark skin and he was an accountant. Um, Norman Manley was white passing and a lawyer. So Norman Manley would better fit in the bourgeoisie to get funding and blah 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 and you know the whole white man savior complex that existed in Jamaica in the thirties and still today. <laughs> um. So yeah, yeah. But to give credit where credit is due, Norman Mali has never said that he founded the PNP party. There's no record of Norman Mali saying he founded the PNP party. Um, yeah, there's no record of my knowledge that he said that. So that, that was OT. OT Fairclough is also credited as being the original person who came up with the name Jamaica Labour Party because the Jamaica Labour Party, that slogan, was supposed to be the name of P of what of the party that is today known as the PNP. That was supposed to be the name of the party. And then in the latter stages, Iman Norman Mali sit down and said, no, we're a people organization, we're for the people, you know, the whole socialism idea. Okay. <laughs> so they changed the PNP. But then 1943 come and you know, Bustamante say, yo, all right, they never use it, we're gonna use it. This is me paraphrasing. Me never saw the story about saying me never saw the the, the the conversation went with Buster, but Jail Bustamante basically founded an extension of the BITU, the political arm of the BITU, because there was Buster, there was his extension of himself, the BITU, which is a trade union, and the other extension of himself was the Jamaica Labour Party, which yeah he used the OT Fair Club moniker, Jamaica Labour Party, and he named it yeah. So if you're going to credit anybody with the formation of the two political party that is relevant today in Jamaica, then it would be OT Fairclough. And I say relevant today because the first political party we have had was PPP, which was founded by Marcus Garvey. But they don't really have like a... They call a word. May I look for the word? That word there. They call a thing there. Uh, it started with I. An impact. Yeah, <laughs> for national politics. But I love y'all though. Big up on yourself, Marcus Garvey, PPP. Love y'all. Y'all are y'all are good peoples. Um. So yeah, and Ot Fairclough will later like he distance himself. Some he never distance himself somewhere from the PNP, but he wasn't into the whole organization and the whole politics of the PNP when it reached later forties and fifties. So yeah, I don't blame people for thinking that Norman Mali founded a party because Norman Mali was the face of the party for a good 30 years, you know. The man mortgage house and had mental breakdown over the party. So I don't blame people for not knowing. I just blame the education system for the way they teach it that normally founded the PMP. And I really like a statement there. If you say we're using the founders, one of the founding members, sure, but not the founder. That's, that's incorrect. So 
yeah, Oti ended up distancing himself from the the from the, the upper lounge of the PMP and he poured himself into the public opinion. And the public opinion served as like this socialist newspaper to combat the, the, the Gleaner. Because I'm saying before, go listen to where Walter an episode, the Gleaner was. The Gleaner was very, like, no, it's extreme, because, you know. But the Gleaner was very right wing, like, and I've said this many times, you know, that's why I'm going to trust them. Majority of them reporting that happened in the 70s. And, yeah, so that was a, that was a public opinion, that newspaper. Michael Manley, when he came, when he graduated from LSE, you know, because he, what did he, he was a journalism. He was a journalism. He was a journal. He was a journalism. My God, he was a journalist. Um, in England before he after he graduated from LSE, um, he was in England working. I think a couple months, and then he came out to Jamaica. He when he came out to Jamaica, his first job was as a um a writer for the public opinion. So he wrote for that newspaper. You understand? So. I think his, his his articles and stuff are still around. You can like link up UWI Library or um the one of the I think one of the archives probably have it. The archives probably have some of his his some of his articles there. Um so yeah, you know, that happened and so that's a public opinion. Now the public opinion when the whole Green Bay Massacre, we are real back into the Green Bay Massacre, just went on a whole four, five, ten minute rant, at least in the something. <laughs> when when that happened, the public opinion, right, published on the front page, um, asking whether any angels had died on the operations. You understand? So um them never really condemned the operation. No, the pub the editor of the public opinion, John Maxwell, um Name sound familiar, right? <laughs> Use, uses a news commentary on JBC television to reveal that a gun has been found at Green Bay. This is the first announcement of this evidence. It later transpired that a gun found at the Grange was unfireable and in the words of the military own attorney, anti-collections items. As I said before, the gun with them fine and Winston Spalding won't walk me about. That was the gun, basically. So... Yeah, so you'd have the public opinion and um Dolly Thompson saying no angels died at Green Bay, so why should we be creating a fuss over this? Like it's <sighs> yeah. But you know, as things happen in Jamaica that happen with the state, like every single human rights violation that happened in this country that involved the state, nobody was charged. So let me tell you what happened in the Liados. An official report from the JDF said that the men were shot after they were surprised by soldiers during the target practice at the JDF firing range, right? However, photo evidence taken by JDF themselves contradicted that claim by professionals in recent years. As I just said, right, up above, the picture they never did add up, the story never did add up at all. So when it reached a court, you understand, and the inquiry and the corona's inquest was done, and it, it was done in Spanish Town um, Court, a jury found that the persons had that persons had conspired to kill the men at Green Bay and that 10 JDF soldiers were criminally responsible for the young men killing. Those 10 involved Major Ian Robinson and Carl Marsh, right? We'll continue. No, yeah, say your man and people here. I got prison. XYZ, XYZ. No, because as I said before, when things are in Jamaica, things are in Jamaica. You understand? We have spoken about cases and court cases if you go and listen to our pmp and the taylor figolis when it comes to ted ted death go listen to the episode you know how 
things work in this country when it comes to putting people on trial. So those charged for the conspiracy were all acquitted. Walk, they walk free in June and July of 1981 as no case submissions. So no case was submitted. Hmm? And those charged for the actual murders were acquitted on February 8th, 1982. Guess why? Guess no? Due to insufficient evidence. So nothing came off the Green Bay massacre. Nothing came out of the Green Bay killing. And that's the story of the Green Bay massacre. Nothing came out of it. Like so much things in Jamaica. Nothing came out of it. But these men are remembered, you know. These men are remembered. So yeah, as I said before, you had the footballer, Norman Gutter Thompson, you know, um, Santos and Jamaica midfielder. Trevor Clark, Winston Hamilton, Martin Howard, and Glenn Richards. Glenn Richards, the artist who just career just to take off. Um, you know he he also um died. They are they all died, and yeah, wicked can't run away. That song there, every time you hear it, yeah, just think about Green Bay and Delroy Anthony Giffens. Um, the guy who got picked up by the police is still alive today. I know you can go. Glenna did interview him, interviewed him a couple years ago can find it online and there's some youtube videos of him speaking about what happened and speaking about his trauma about what happened on that day because as, as he said him just didn't want money the 300 dollars wouldn't promise him he never he never knew he involved in no criminal activity him just want money and stuff so that transpired after green bay massacre and um yeah if you had a, if you have a chance to like read born for dead um, by Larry Ghost, that's a good read that can give you a more four-page detail. Basically, I will cover everything she say. I'm just going to cover it in English. I'm just going to paraphrase it, should I say. But if you're know, if you a reader, more than like audio, you can go read the book. But the book is a lot. There's a lot of things that she said in the book. A whole lot of things said in the book. That, uh, some of them kind of unbelievable because you're like, wow! But it's a good read. Um, Interesting read. Entertaining read. That's what it is. Um, and then the most famous depiction of the men is uh, Better Muscom, which is Storm Salter's um, debut 2020 film. You don't know Storm Salter, the director of Sprinter. Um, yes, yeah, so a big up Storm and um, big up Storm and, you know, the whole team over um, New Cinema Caribbean. Um, and the work that they do. So, Better Must Come was a dramatization of the events surrounding Green Bay Massacre as it regards to Larry Gust reporting. And um, it stars Sheldon Shepard from Nomads. There's an, and the other, the other act, the actor from Nomads is in there as well. And it's a really good film. I mean, you can find it anywhere. You don't know, purchase and support um, Jamaican creatives. It's a really good film um but yeah that's the episode um green bay massacre again really sad really 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 sad 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 event that happened in jamaica history and that it wasn't just a lesson learned because there they went there went on to be so many other human rights violations that happened um but yeah that's the episode um i hope everybody's doing great in these times you know it's been it's been a it's been a whole year when is that new year yeah. all right <laughs>
yeah, I'm a great 2021. <laughs> I'm a great 2021. And yeah, I wish nothing but blessings and peace and, you know, all them nice energy, positivity. And yeah, loved ones. But just so you don't know, we're going to end out the episode with um Papa Kojak, um, Green Bay Killing. You don't know? So yeah, we're going to close out. So what well, good, everybody? All right. And music is my game, alright When I throw this one to your brain, you're bound to spread my name